appreciate Brother Jonathan, my son, and he is, uh, he's not a good preacher because he's my son. He's a good preacher because he loves this book, and he has studied it. I always get something when I hear him speak. I'm always encouraged. I learn something. And so he's got something special for us tonight. I'm going to sit down by that pretty lady. Where's my wife? Where's my wife? Oh, oh, she is here tonight. No, no, no. Right over here. Hey, it's Valentine's. I'm sitting by my wife in church. That's what I'm going to do. Jonathan, come share God's word with us, would you? All right. Great. We're on. Uh, let's go ahead and take our Bibles. We're going to open it up here to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. This is the love chapter in the Bible, and uh, believe it or not, I was actually working on this sermon before Valentine's Day. Uh, it just kind of uh, lands on it here. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 13, and then we're going to also go to Matthew 18 uh, in a second here. So, uh, believe it or not, this message kind of dovetails into both Valentine's Day and the Super Bowl that just happened. <laughs> I, I kid you not, okay? Uh, somehow it happened. Um, uh, but it's not because it's Valentine's Day, but because uh, each and every one of us needs this, including myself, uh, first of all. So in 1 Corinthians 13, if, you're not, um, if you've been attending on, uh, on Sunday nights, you know that um, what kind of church this was at Corinth. It had some problems that needed correcting. Uh, Paul has just gotten through talking about spiritual gifts in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and he talks about all these different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives his church and that type of thing. And then in 13, he launches into this discussion about charity. That's how our, uh, our translation gives us this word. It means love. But it translates it charity because it's a special kind of love that we're going to be uh, talking about here tonight. So it's a special kind of love. So in chapter 13, Paul is not, this is really important, he's not comparing the spiritual gifts with the spiritual gift of love, okay? He's not saying, now here are all these spiritual gifts, and the best spiritual gift is love. Love is not a spiritual gift. Amen. Love is a spiritual discipline Amen. that we can uh, get more of uh, ourselves. The Holy Spirit doesn't just gift certain people the gift of love and other people the gift of hate or something, you know. <laughs> That's not how it works, okay? So uh, Paul is describing how useless spiritual gifts are if you don't have love, okay? So it'd be like if you have a brand new shiny car with no fuel in the gas tank, okay? It is useless without the fuel, Love is the fuel for the spiritual gifts. Amen. That's the point. Okay. So in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul starts out and he says, uh, Though I you know, speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I don't have charity, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Okay. So this is a, this is a big deal. So let's, uh, let's look at this real quick. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll begin in verse number 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become as a sounding brass, or like a gong. Have you ever heard a gong? Right? Or a tinkling cymbal. We'll explain that in a second. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, or love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. 
Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Uh, when, when you think about someone, uh, when, when it says that if you have love, you're not provoked, it doesn't mean that uh, people no longer get on your nerves, okay? People still get on your nerves, but with this kind of love, it doesn't provoke you <laughs> when they get on your nerves. You understand the difference, right? You can put up with it. And then here's, here's this last little phrase here that we're going to center on. It says, thinketh no evil, Okay? Here's, here's what the word think means. This, this is a very special word here that's translated some other places, especially in Romans, as reckon, account, or count. Okay? It is an accounting term. You know how you tally up things, right? Um, what, what he's talking about is a person with love, this kind of love, does not keep track or account of wrongdoings done against them. When someone does you evil, a person with this kind of love is not keeping score. You see? Uh, This is the Super Bowl thing, right? This is the scoreboard. This is what I want to call this message is the scoreboard. This kind of love, you don't have a scoreboard in your hand saying, okay, for Brother Steve, that's one. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) For for this lady, that's two. (laughs) You remember Peter when he asked Jesus, he said, now, how many times should I forgive somebody? You know, should I forgive them seven times, right? And he's thinking about like this magic number that if a person passes seven times, all right, cool, I can hold a grudge now against this person and get even with them. Uh, Jesus corrects that idea, okay? Someone with this kind of love is not keeping score. That is very much easier said than done, isn't it? Amen. Yeah, yeah. So doesn't, doesn't keep account of. Uh, true love towards brothers and sisters in Christ does not keep a scoreboard, right? Um, th- th- this, is, this is really important too. This kind of record keeping seems to imply that the person that's keeping score plans on paying back in kind, okay? I'm keeping score and there's going to be a payday someday. You see, you see what I'm saying? Okay, so... Uh, I don't know when this started, but in Little League and some of the, uh, some of the sports where the, the little kids play, they don't keep score anymore. And you wonder, like, why are you playing a competition that is not keeping score? It makes no sense to me, right? But, but that's, that's what happens uh, uh, sometimes, especially when little kids play. But the point of a sport or a competition right? Uh, That's why you keep score, is to track who is winning and who is losing, who wins and who loses, right? Okay, so a sport is a competition. A competition implies a scorekeeping, okay? Christianity and like the thing that the Lord set up for us to live, to live out, is not a competition. And therefore, you don't keep score. It's not a sport, It's not a competition. We don't have a scoreboard in this room. At least we shouldn't. That's the idea. Okay? Let's pray. We'll jump right in. I'm going to go as quick as possible. Father, please help us now. This is a really important subject, and we all need this. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, let let me do just a real quick recap here. 
Um, if you're familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians from, uh, from the sermon series on Sunday night that pastor is doing, the first chapter starts out and Paul is saying, look guys, we need to correct some things. Some of you are saying, I'm for Paul. Some of you are saying, I'm for Apollos. Some of you are saying that, hey, I got baptized by Paul. And some of you are saying, I got baptized by this guy. Almost like, I'm team Paul. I'm team Apollos. How, how bizarre is that, right? But there were these little, like, teams <laughs> or, or groups, like, rooting for one guy and in competition with the other guy. And that's very strange, um, uh, you know, compared to what, what, what church should be like. Uh, what, what we should be all about. And Paul comes down on him. He says, no, look, guys, you, it, it's, it's not this team Paul thing, okay? Like, we're, we're a family in the Lord. Uh, we're not on a sports team competing with one another. He gets on them about taking one another to court and suing each other. He said, guys, can't you, like, work this thing out, whatever issue you have with one another, like, in the church? You really have to go before unsaved people to work out your differences and, and to sue one another. Uh, people are comparing themselves to others, to, you know, God's gifted me more than this person, and uh, maybe God's gifted me less than this other person. You understand, this whole book kind of revolves around this competition thing that should not be a competition at all, Amen. right? Paul is saying, look, guys, in more ways than one, you're keeping score and you're not understanding that you should have no scorecard whatsoever, Amen. right? Uh, a, a real, mature uh, Christian love has no scoreboard. Uh, Amen. But again, this is easier said uh, than done. True Christianity is put to the test when you and I are wronged. Okay? Amen. It's at that point that an unsaved world gets to see if there's a difference between them and us, Amen. right? Uh, do, do we react um, the same way that other people do? Um, maybe, maybe if you can, I, w- I just want to show this real quick. I like this. 1 Corinthians 3 and uh, verse number 4. Um, let's go there. 1 Corinthians 3, 4. Okay. Um, it says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Uh, who, who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. He says, are ye not carnal? It means, are, are you just like behaving like regular people? Are you just behaving like, you know, everyone else in the world does when these things happen uh, in competition with one another? He said, you know, the, these types of things should not be. Uh, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 1, we just read it. He, he says, look... Um, if, if I have all these great abilities, I have all this stuff, uh, but I don't have love, I don't have charity, I am a, it says, sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What in the world does that mean? Okay? Uh, the people that Paul wrote to there in Corinth would know exactly what it meant. In these pagan temples that were around Corinth and all these Greek and Roman cities, when you went into that pagan temple to offer sacrifice to some false god, or maybe you're worshiping, it's like a emperor worship was another thing, and you, you're lighting a little um, incense, and you're offering a little offering. You would also, when you arrived, they had this big gong-looking thing, and you pounded on the gong, and you had to wake up the god that you were 
that you were uh, sacrificing to because he was probably asleep. And like, th- this is how it worked, okay? Like if you ever watched the Disney movie Mulan, you know, um, those, of, those of us who have little kids, we, we understand why you have to watch these things. And the little, the little, dragon, little dragon comes and he has the, the, um, uh, the stick and he's like, boom, boom, all right, time to wake up, you know, rise and shine, right? He has to wake up the gods, okay? Paul is saying, look, if we're in competition with one another and you have all these spiritual gifts, you're doing great things, I mean, you're serving, you're actually worshiping, all this stuff but you have absolutely no love for one another at all, uh, not this Christian kind of love, you are acting no different than a pagan worshiping in a false temple. Amen. Why? Because in that case, it's like, hey God, look at me. Hey, 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 wake up, look over here. Religion becomes about us, yes. Amen. right? A, a loveless religion is going to create a lot of friction because it's a lot of people in competition with one another. You see? So, is our religion truly different than Buddhism, Hinduism, ancient paganism? Not if we don't have love, the kind of love that doesn't keep a scoreboard. Okay? Um, There's this this, um, term that has surfaced in the last, I don't know, uh, definitely within the last decade. You've probably heard it. It's cancel culture. Okay? Uh, and when you hear this, it's like, okay, if someone crosses this line, they're canceled, okay? Ne- never will we forgive them, we don't interact with them, we don't talk about them, nothing, they're canceled. How many of you have heard this term before? A couple of you, okay. Um, this cancel culture, if you remember in the news, um, this back in 2017, a famous comedian, um, she probably took a, she did take a step too far, and she... Um, uh, in a video, she, she held up a bloody head of the, our president at the time, and it was supposed to be real funny, uh, she thought, and so it was like ketchup like was dripping off this head or something. Well, people didn't think it was funny, and um, people that were her friends that had backed her up for a long time, they came after her. She got put on the no-fly list. Uh, she was very angry, okay? And um, when she thought that everyone had turned on her, this is what she said in uh, in in one of her uh, in one of her tweets. Where is this? Um, she uh, she was re- referring to a person. She says, "I will never forgive you. My memory is long, my ex friend. Shame on you. I keep a list. Fear me." <laughs> okay, that's a scoreboard. You see, it's like. I have a good memory, and I remember who, who, who hurt me, who didn't back me up when I thought they should, uh, who, who did this or that to me. I'm keeping a list, and someday, like, there will be a payday. Uh, that's kind of a threat, right? I mean, that's not just me. Like, that's, that's more than just, like, I'm angry at you, right? Okay, so when Peter talks to Jesus, and he says, how many times should we forgive our brother? Uh, you know, if he, if he does some bad thing against us, And Jesus goes into this story in Matthew 18. We're going to go there in a second. But the basic idea of that is love absorbs evil without calculating how to retaliate. Okay? All right. So what does this mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. We don't want to be naive about this. It doesn't mean that when someone wrongs you that you simply look the other way when someone does wrong. That's not right either. Okay? So... um, it's not like ignoring gross sin, 
Okay, because previously in 1 Corinthians 7, you remember that Paul said, hey, you need to deal with this sin and you need to, you need to uh, kick this guy out of the church. Okay, and that's like an extreme, extreme example. Um, but he said, look, th- this person is like a, a cancer or a gangrene. You need to cut this off. He's doing serious damage. Um, but usually, okay, because the church is like a body, that's what Paul is saying, Usually, when something hurts in your body, you don't go around chopping things off, okay? <laughs> like, it's a very extreme thing to go into surgery and get something removed, okay? You're sore. It hurts the entire body, okay? But just because you stub your toe and you're angry at it doesn't mean you take a knife and chop off your toe, okay? But in a church that is competitive, that... It's, it's not about the entire body working together, okay? We've lost sight of uh, that every member of the body is like attached to the body. And when one member is hurting, the whole body is hurting, that type of thing. When we get that picture, okay, we're, we're not all about chopping people off and throw, throwing them to the wolves. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so it doesn't mean that you just simply ignore sin or wrongdoing or anything like that, if we're, if we're passing the offering plates and someone, you know, grabs a wad of cash and puts it in their pocket, it's not like, oh man, well, I don't want to see that, it's not my area, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, it's, not, it's not something like that. It's talking about, really, a wrongdoing that's done to us, okay? Um, so, something can be um, against the law or, or illegal, and that needs to be addressed uh, legally. We're not talking about something like that. We're talking about our re- personal response in our forgiveness or non-forgiveness toward a person that's hurt us. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So you can't, uh, it's also, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to just try to forget some wrongdoing that's against us, that's, uh, that someone did, Okay. Uh, some of us have uh, really good memories, and sometimes that's not a good thing, okay? Um, uh, You can't forget a wrong, but you can choose not to take it into account, okay? You can choose not to reckon it. You can choose not to dwell on it, okay? Um, Here's also what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you just ignore something altogether. Some things need to be taken care of, right? So, um, we explained that the body, uh, the church is a body, not a competition. So um, you know, recently I had this serious issue with, uh, with, with my tooth. I had a, um, a root canal that wasn't finished. And so I had, I've had almost like three different tries at the root canal so far. And like, it has just been terrible. I went into the ER at one point, and I'm, like my face is swollen up like a chipmunk. I couldn't swallow. Like it's really bad, okay? But nowhere during the last several weeks did I think, you know what I need to do? I need to take a table saw and cut my jaw off. <laughs> that's bizarre, okay? That, that's, how, that's how crazy people think. And it's thinking that way is not remembering that this part of my body is attached to the entire body, okay? Um, and that's how we ought to treat one another. Uh, especially, say, say someone you, you just don't get along with. There's not a, a sin problem, an issue, but they just rub you the wrong way, okay? Um, 
if we're treating people as a body, right, the whole church functioning as a body, you can't just ignore that part, you see? Um, this body metaphor that, that Paul is talking about is just so important. He also talks about like a family, okay? Um, you treat family, at least we should treat family, a lot different than people who are not family. You put up with a lot more. You show a lot, of, lot more love and grace towards one another. Okay, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that love is a discipline that we can develop, not just a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us, Amen. Okay. So also we notice in 1 Corinthians that when Paul is describing this thing of love, he is describing it in words like action words, okay? What love does and doesn't do. He says love is patient, love is kind, love is this. Love doesn't do this other thing. Love doesn't do this. He's not describing love. Um, uh, he doesn't just say something like love is good and a wonderful thing, Okay? He's always describing love as an action that is done or not done. This kind of love that he's talking about is demonstrated. Amen. Okay? You, you can love somebody and they never know it because you never tell them that's a hidden love. That's not what we're talking about. This one is visible demonstration of doing the hard thing a lot of times. Right? It's that kind of love. A self-sacrificial love for the sake of the entire body in order for it to function properly. Okay? Um, so a lot of times, here's um, a lot of times why we don't forgive, why we don't put down the scorecard. Uh, we, come, we come up with a lot of excuses. Okay? And even sometimes try to justify them biblically. Here's, here's a couple just to get your mind going. Sometimes we justify bitterness and resentment and an unforgiving heart. We say, they just need to know how much they've hurt me. Like, oh, I'll, for, I'll forgive them eventually, but they just need to know. Okay? Um, uh, I'm not going to forgive them because they've never apologized. Okay? They've never actually shown remorse. You understand that the Bible doesn't say that that is a requirement to forgive. Amen. That's, a, that's a requirement to restore somebody, but not to forgive them. Yeah. Okay? Uh, maybe it's because we've convinced ourselves they didn't mean it when they apologized. You know, like we can read their mind and their heart. Yeah. Okay? It's like, they didn't really mean that. <laughs> uh, and maybe they didn't. Okay? But it's not the point. It's not about them. Right. It's about our response. It's about our scoreboard. Maybe we've convinced ourselves that this person is not even saved to begin with, okay? So why should I treat them as a brother or sister in Christ if they're not even a brother and sister in Christ, okay? Um, that, that sometimes, it, you, it's not just me. You've heard these things, right? Okay? We, we have said these things, too. Uh, maybe we tell ourselves we'll forgive them when we're convinced that they're truly changed, okay? All these are kind of Christianese type of excuses that are not found in the text we just read. Amen. Uh, it's just throwing away the scoreboard, period. Not with any of these excuses. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 18, and we'll finish with this. Matthew 18. It's not just sufficient for me to describe the problem to you. Like we all know, it's very difficult and it's a bad thing uh, keeping score and keeping account of wrongdoings done against us. Here is, here is how to actually do something about this. You ready? 
Matthew 18. What do we do about this? Matthew 18, verse 21. And I'll begin reading. It says, Then came Peter to him, that's, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee, until, until um, 70 times seven. And Jesus is not giving him a magic number either. He's saying, look, just stop keeping track. Okay? So Peter is looking for this magic number, but Jesus gently tells him a story that shows him how far off Peter's perspective is. Okay? So here's the story in verse number 23. It begins, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account, there's that word again, would take account of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, there that word again, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. Now, first thing we stop here, okay? 10,000 talents. Now, we're not familiar with that that terminology, okay? Okay, this will put it in perspective. A talent was usually, one talent was the amount of money a person, a working man, would earn in an entire year. Okay? He owed him 10,000 talents. Okay? If, if, uh, if an average person, they earn maybe, let's say, $50,000 in a year. 50000 times 10000 is $500 billion. Okay? You understand that Jesus is giving this hypothetical story to just blow someone's mind. It's like, what? He owed him $500 billion. Okay? And this would actually have affected the king. Like, that's something you run a country on, yes? yes. Like, it's huge. It's enormous. It's incredible. Okay? So here's what this man does. He gets forgiven. 10,000 talents in verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Ha! Right? He's going to pay him all? (laughs) He's going to pay him $500 billion? Not likely. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him. You see this? Forgiveness always requires you to let it go. He loosed him and forgave him the debt. Okay, here we go. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Fellow servant means slave. You understand that, right? He found someone who is a fellow slave along with him who is like at the lowest of the low you know, point in society. How is he going to make any money at all? And he owed him a hundred pence. Okay, as far as we can tell, this is a hundred pence, a hundred denarii was perhaps like $50 today. Okay, Um, and he finds this man and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me. That's what he said to the king. And I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that was done, they were sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, 
and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. And he's never going to pay that back, right? Okay. So notice this was uh, that this unforgiving servant is tortured. You, you caught that, right? Not every single thing in the story applies to Jesus. That's not how parables work, okay? But this is what this is the takeaway here. When we when we refuse to forgive, when we have been forgiven an incredible amount ourselves, when we refuse to forgive, we are tortured. We are in prison, and there's no getting out. Here's what I mean. The, the point's this. When someone wrongs you, there's this debt that they owe you now. Okay? An emotional debt you feel. It's a sense, it's a sense you have that this person has an obligation, um, this, per, th- this obligation that this person owes you because they have wronged you. So there's all sorts of ways that we try to get back at a person. We try to... Um, exact revenge, so to speak. Not, not physically, but here's what sometimes happens. You can insult them. You can give them the cold shoulder. You can pretend that they're not even there, right? Um, these are all things. You can be harsh to them. You can chew them out. You can try to get even. You can try to hurt them professionally in their career. How many of you have seen that before? Yeah? Okay. Um, you can gossip about them. You can kind of wiggle their name uh, into a conversation, right? Where, like, this conversation had nothing to do with this person. We just want to talk about them right now, right? Uh, you can speak ill about them. You can ruin their reputation. You can refuse to pray for them, okay? All forms of trying to get revenge, so to speak, on this person who has wronged you, okay? Um, you want to hurt them somehow, maybe not physically. Why? Why is this? Why, why do we all feel this way? Because when I inflict pain on someone who's hurt me, it makes me feel better. That's, an, that's a human emotional response. So the problem is when we make the other person pay that debt, here's what happens. We're becoming now like that person who did evil to us. Amen. We become the evil person who wronged us. You see what's happening? Yeah. So when someone wrongs up, uh, when someone wrongs us, here's what usually happens. We think of all the ways that we're not like this person. Okay? We try to distance ourselves and think like, there's no way I would do that. Right? Or have you ever seen um, you know, people who draw caricatures? Right? Who maybe they, it's like a political cartoon or something, so they exaggerate the features of this person. Like, you know, like a really long nose or really long ears. You've seen this before? When someone wrongs us, we create a caricature of them in our mind, okay? Maybe they lied to us, and so it's, we, we center on that flaw, and we, all we think about when we think about them is, that's, that's the liar, okay? We don't think of any good they've done. We don't think of any similarities, like they're a brother and sister in Christ. No, it's that they're the liar. They're, they're, there goes the liar, Right? He's always going to lie. We shouldn't trust him because he's the liar. Or he is this, or she is that. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. It's a caricature that we're drawing in our mind, and um, we want to make ourselves think that there's no way we would be like that person. But when we forgive that debt that they owe us, that wrong, we absorb the debt. You understand? Someone always has to pay... When a, wrong do, when a wrong is done. 
It costs us. Here's what I mean. When you see that person who wronged you, like prospering and doing great, that hurts. But if you've forgiven them, you're absorbing that hurt. You see? Uh, When we refuse to get even with someone, even if it's easy for us to do, that hurts. It stings. But we're absorbing that hurt because one way or another, if there's debt, someone has to pay for that debt. You see? Okay, so uh, the last verse, it says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother his trespass. I'm almost done. Uh, So one of the points of this story is for us to say, look, um, when when we read this story, the the, the point for us is to end the story in saying, how in the world could that guy have done that? Right? He was forgiven $500 billion. It might as well have been a trillion dollars. Okay? He's never going to pay it back. Then he gets on this guy that owes him 50 bucks, and we're supposed to end that story going, what? How could he have done that? And that's when the Lord pulls a gotcha on us. Okay? Because... Um, we are reminded that the king, in a way, represents the Lord who absorbed our debt that we could not ever possibly pay. You see? And when we put ourselves in the story, when we become that guy, uh, that, that lady, whatever the case, right? We're in that story and we feel the incredible power of being forgiven and understand the magnitude and the the absolute cost that Jesus took on himself and absorbed, we're going to be slow to keep a scorecard in our hands. Okay? Because we've put ourselves in the story now. The king who forgave and the forgiven man who forgot. That's why we keep the scorecard sometimes is because either we have not been forgiven and we have not actually experienced Jesus Christ forgiving all we've ever done and all we ever will do, or we've forgotten. Uh, And we have lost perspective uh, on this thing. So here's the the last story, and I'm done. His name was uh, Reverend Walter Everett. You probably haven't heard of him. He wrote an article uh, some years back and the article was entitled, entitled, Forgiving the Man Who Killed My Son. He tells the story of uh, receiving a call one day, and he thought he'd never hear these words. And it was, um, you know, Reverend uh, Scott, your son was murdered last night. And he, he writes in this article, he said he was just absolutely full of rage. And what contributed more to it is that... Um, this, uh, the guy who killed his son got an early uh, plea, plea deal and got his sentence reduced. That stung, right? And this pastor who's pastoring a church said, it consumed me. Like, I was, I was enraged and it was affecting every area of my life. I knew what I had to do. So um, he appears in court, this man, his name is Mike. He appears in court. And um, the pastor said something that initially helped was that he saw how Mike was, he, he appeared truly sorry. So three weeks later, on the anniversary of when his son was murdered, he wrote Mike a letter in prison. And he said, um, uh, he, what did he say? Uh, he, he told Mike about his anger. He said, I asked him some very pointed questions. 
And then he said, having said all that, I want to thank you for what you said in court. And as hard as these words are for me to write, I forgive you. He then wrote about God's love and how that the Lord would forgive him too if he asked for it. He ended the letter by saying that Mike could write him if he wanted to. Well, three weeks later, a letter arrives in the mail. And it's from Mike. It's from the guy in prison. And Mike says, um, uh, Mike wrote that when he received the letter, he couldn't believe it. He said, no one had ever said to him, I forgive you. He said that night he knelt by his uh, bunk there in prison, asked the Lord to forgive him of his sins, prayed and received God's forgiveness. So Walter Everett, this pastor, and Mike continued exchanging letters, right? Those letters and that correspondence turned into in-person visits. And the pastor uh, was now um, meeting with the man who had killed his son. And they were talking about his growth and his relationship with the Lord. And they, they became friends. And here's what happens um, at the end of this. Um, uh, Walter Everett, the guy who, um, the, the reverend, uh, spoke on behalf of Mike at his parole board. And Mike was given early release. And then in November of 1994, Walter, the pastor, was the officiating minister at Mike's wedding. This is a true story. Walter said, I didn't know if forgiveness was possible, but then I discovered the meaning of Paul's words. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free from Galatians. God made us free so that we could show freedom to others. And that's what getting rid of the scorecard is all about. So here's the question. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't keep a scorecard with us? He could have, right? Uh, On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished, which means it is paid for, okay? He paid the cost. He absorbed that himself. And he absorbed that cost we could never pay. So the question is, why am I keeping score? Why are we keeping score? Um. So, you know, for you today, is church a competition or a body? Have you and I made excuses for holding on to the scorecard? We're very clever at making these excuses, aren't we? Yes. When's the last time we put ourselves in that story in Matthew of the man who has forgiven much? And, and here's the question. If now's not the time to throw away the scoreboard, when is? Yeah. So it's Valentine's Day, the day that the world celebrates this thing called love. But maybe it's time that we showed someone what Christian love really is and how very different it is from everything outside of it.